Welcome to the Underground Podcast, a weekly teaching from the 20 service at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Stay tuned for ways to connect with our ministry following the message. There's something very important that has to happen tonight. Before you and I can ever go and pursue love, we have to first understand how much God loves us. And when you understand how much God loves you, you won't pursue love the same because you won't need it the same. That is so important. So I want everyone just for a second, close your eyes, just for a minute. I want you to think about this, that you are loved by God, the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. He has chosen you. He has made you, created you specifically just the way he would have you to be. And he has given us the gift of relationships and that's all wonderful. But the greatest thing you and I will ever experience is to walk with and truly understand who God is to us. And he's a father to those that have a father and to the fatherless. He's our leader. He's our guider. He's our protector. And he has stretched his hand all the way from heaven through Jesus to make a way for you and I to be saved. For just a moment, if you have already received Christ, just in your own words, would you lift up a thank you silently just to yourself between you and God, just thinking about what that means, that he saved you, redeemed you, has made you not a better creation, but a new creation. For anyone else in here that hasn't started a relationship with Christ, this isn't a pressure moment, but I just want to lay in front of you that you are missing, you are missing the key to understanding joy and the key to true salvation. And I pray that God would touch your heart, maybe even right now, that he would want to move you to ask questions, to want to talk to people, to want to figure this out. God loves you. God loves you. Would you just sing that, that chorus over us one last time of this song? And for just a second, let's think about these words as they're sung over us. Let's just do it with just the voices. you turn to someone next to you, tell them you're glad they're here, and let's get ready to dive into our message. Last week, we kind of did a, a quick kind of like overview of chapter two, and so some of you are like, oh, this would be great. Maybe we'll get into chapter three. Yeah, no, not going to do that. Uh, we're actually going to go back to the beginning of chapter two, but here's what I want to do this time. This time, as we move through it, what I want to look at is I want to look at the principles of a godly man and a godly woman that jump out of us out of this text. Now, I want to say this up front. This doesn't mean that every single principle is covered 
in this message, but from these verses, as this love story unfolds, I wanna bring out some things that I think are really important. And so let me set this up for you. We, we've been in this series called Bay Watch, all right? Looking for our bay, right? How cute, how corny, all of the above is what I thought. But anyways, a bay watch. Now, what does bay watch mean? It's finding your what? Anybody remember? Yeah, you're before anyone else. And already, immediately, we have a theological issue, problem, because the truth is nobody comes between you and God. No one should come between you and God. If they are, it's a big problem. But what we're talking about is finding your before any other human. All right, so I don't know how we can change the lettering there. I just realized that, but we'll make it work. But we're looking for your human, which is really your ultimate relationships, which would be your spouse, okay? Now, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not looking for a spouse yet. I just wanted to hear about dating. Well, listen, if you're not ready to get married, you ain't ready to date. Let me say it again. If you're not ready to get married, you're not ready to date. So write that down, okay? Someone needs to get a tattoo on their arm of that because that is real talk that's very important. The point of getting into these dating relationships is so that you could be looking for and hopefully finding the one that is for you. Very important. Now, to get us some help, I uh, actually did this for something else the other day and it made me think about doing it for us here tonight, and that is this. I Googled, great way to start a message, right? I can't wait to hear what he's got to say now. It was the Bible, now it's Google, I'm ready. Uh, I Googled books on finding the one. Yeah. You know how many there were? Anybody want to guess? Take, let's throw it out there. What do you think? A thousand going once. What? More than one. Yeah, okay, fair. That's <laughs> correct. Anybody else? 9,000, woo, getting higher. Anybody else? One, okay, Mr. Spiritual back there. Hang on, let us get to the message. 20,000, you know what the answer was? Are you ready for this? I have to double check. 7.7 million. Million, the guys, that's just Google books, okay? Who knows how many articles out? Now, what does that tell us? There are a lot of people trying to solve this problem. And here's what I want to say to you. I think a lot of those resources probably could be helpful for you. I'm not encouraging or endorsing all of them or really any of them right now. But let me tell you this. The God that created you and that loves you wouldn't leave you without something to help you walk down this path. Now, we know that the Bible isn't full of how-to on dating things, and there's a reason for that, because really dating was not the, it just wasn't the same back in biblical times. And, and honestly, rightfully so. I mean, they got it right. The parents picked who you married, right? I mean, maybe I have kids, and so maybe my perspective changed, but it doesn't matter. I'm just telling you, it's the way to go, right? Why? Because your parents see the things that, now some of you, your parents probably shouldn't pick who you marry, but... It was different in biblical times, but here's the thing. As our culture has adapted, as our culture has expanded, as sex has come onto the scene in a way that we've never seen in history, and all these things come together, there's so much confusion, there's so much frustration, there's so much want in something that we think we need so badly, but here's the truth. Yes, getting married is your most important human relationship that you will have when you look through the span of your life, but it is not the most important thing in your life. And you kind of got to wrestle with that. You got to embrace that, get comfortable with that, and then you're ready to move forward. It's really important. And so we're looking at this series, and what we're doing is looking at the love story of Ruth and Boaz and trying to navigate from their experience and pull out, glean from as many 
principles as we can to help us navigate this journey together. So that being said, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. Pause for a side note because I've been gone a week. I'm going to say a lot of things. Uh, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible. Like, we're never going to condemn you for not bringing your Bible. It's okay if you don't have one, but let us help you get one. But I would encourage you to bring your Bible. There's something about holding it. Some of you are like, this dude is so old. There is something about holding your Bible that changes the way it hits you. Okay, there's just truth. So I would encourage you, if you don't have one, pick one up. You can always use your phone and things like that. But I think that this is just a great thing. So anyway, so every Bible is not seen me on the screen. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 2. We'll fly through because I want to cover a bunch of different things. But along the way, as I'm unfolding this story, I'm going to be pulling out qualities of a godly man, qualities of a godly woman, and we'll look at Ruth and Boaz to help us do that. Now, a couple of quick things. First, we know that Naomi and Ruth are... Mother and daughter, really mother and daughter-in-law, they've left Moab, they're moving toward Bethlehem. Now they've actually entered into Bethlehem. We've heard all this before, I know, but for those of you that are new, just catching up real quick. So they've come back. They both have lost their husbands, okay? So they're both single ladies, okay? They're both poor, and they really have nothing left for them. There was no plan for them if something were to happen to their husbands. So here they are. So they're going back to Bethlehem. They land in Bethlehem. And along the way of this journey, looking at chapter 1, what we've seen from Ruth are two kind of key things. The first one is we've learned that she's God-fearing. She wasn't God-fearing when she started this journey. She grew up in Moab. Moab was a place that was very godless. But as she's encountered Naomi and as they built this relationship, she's realized that, that the God of the Bible is the God that she wants to follow. And we know she's God-fearing because she radically leaves everything behind in Moab and takes off with Naomi toward Bethlehem, which gives us the indication that she's ready to take a new turn in her life. So she was God-fearing, but also she was very kind. All along the way, she was taking care, looking after, walking with Naomi as Naomi was walking with her. And so we've seen just briefly these two characteristics of her come out. So that was like a, a kickstart. Now let's jump in. Chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read every verse in this chapter except for the very end. So just roll with me. We'll do it carefully and slowly, and we'll look at each little piece as best we can. Verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, this is so great, right? Is this not how every love story starts gleaming out in the field? Some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Like, does that help us understand? Okay, so let's, let's look at this carefully. Let's just pause there. Let's unpack this because I want to show you a few things. First of all, they say they're looking for a relative. Okay, they're looking for a relative. Ultimately, what they're looking for is this thing you learned about last week, the Kingsman Redeemer. Do y'all remember hearing about this last week? So ultimately, what they're, listen carefully, what they're hoping to find is the Kingsman Redeemer. In the midst of that hope, they're just looking for a solution. This is very important. Okay, now the Kingsman Redeemer, okay, just, to, just in case you didn't catch this last time, Kingsman Redeemer would have been the closest male relative, which was predominantly the brother. Okay, so the brother of a person that passes would be the one that would now be responsible for both the people and the property of that man. It was a way of God being able to take care of people who have lost their husband. And so this is what the Kingsman Redeemer was. Here's the challenge. I want to get to this. We won't, we won't see it till later, but I want to say this up front. Here's the problem. Boaz 
Ready for this? Is not actually a kinsman redeemer to Ruth. See, you got to understand the process. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'll give you a dollar later for helping me out. No, 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 listen. See, kinsman redeemer is what? It's the brother. But Boaz wasn't a brother. Boaz is actually a distant cousin. Second part is Ruth is from where? Bethlehem or Moab? Moab. That right there broke any kind of kings and redeemer connection. And so what they're hoping for, this is why I'm trying to be careful to explain this, what they're hoping for is someone that could either be or take that place of the kingsman redeemer. But the truth is Boaz is actually not one, which is what's going to make what he does absolutely so much more special down the road. But it's important to know that. But they're in hopes of finding someone, particularly this kingsman redeemer, that could help them. And then it says what? They're gleaning in the field. Has anybody ever done this before? Show of hands. Anybody for college? Yeah? 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 You did? Don't make me test you. He's like, I, I, he did it. I was just, just playing along. I won a dollar, like you said to the other So gleaning was this cool thing. Gleaning was a a God-given Old Testament principle. It's a provision that God made, and the provision was to help take care of the needy or for the poor. And so the idea was to people that own fields, particularly large fields, what they would do is they would take their first portions or their profits, but anything that would be left, any of the margins that would be left would be set aside for the marginalized or for those that are poor. So as a way of God taking care of the poor, because here's the thing, listen, God loves the rich, God loves the semi-wealthy, God loves the mediocre, and God loves the poor and everyone in between. But the difference was it wasn't just a handout. They would still go to the field and they would still do the work, but it was made available to them out of the extra, the extra profits that would have been from the people that run these fields. So Ruth heads out and she's on her way to start putting in the hard work. By the way, this is what's very different about what we see, not always careful here, but in a lot of these situations with those that are homeless. Notice the difference. God created a provision to help them, but they still did the work, okay? Now, that's not an accusation on everybody, hear me carefully, but it is gives us a glimpse into how we can approach helping those that are needy and helping those that are poor. Sometimes the best thing we can do is help someone do something, right? Do your parents, did they do everything for you? Some of you, and that's why you turned out that way. Anyways, right? No, mostly not. What they do is set it up for you so that then you take those steps so you could learn how, embrace, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's an important reminder as we see this. Now, we gotta move quicker. I know, I'm sorry. But then it says this funny little thing. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, right? Just happened to walk right into the place. Now, let's look at this carefully. First of all, She went out looking in hope of finding this person. But unlike today, they didn't have the internet to look up what fields are where or ways to get wherever they needed to go, okay? They had to trust and work with what they were given. And so you see this God's providential hand, even in the process of wanting to get here, the the providential almost miracle, you might say, be a stretch, but the providential hand of God leading her right where she needed to B. And with that, we enter into getting into this, this element of helping us in our relationships. And here's the first one. We've said it three times over the last two weeks while I was here. We must trust and wait for God's timing. We must trust and wait for God's timing. Some of you are like, I am sick of you saying that. Well, then you probably need to hear it more than anybody else. All right? Listen, you have to trust and wait 
on God's timing because you never know what's going on. Okay, here we go. Boaz quality number one. Gentlemen, this is a hint. This is when you write down. Even if you don't care, the girls next to you will really appreciate that you care. All right? Boaz quality number one. Are you ready? Boaz was a godly boss. Now, I'm also going to add a godly worker because not all of us are going to be bosses. I hope one day you will. But, God, but Boaz was a godly boss or a godly worker. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, this is cool. How many of you are going to walk into work tomorrow and your boss is going to walk in bed, the Lord be with you. Oh, the Lord bless you. And everyone pop out and have a little moment of worship, right? I'm not even going to have that. I work at a church, okay? It just doesn't happen. It's just not normal. But immediately we begin to see a little bit about who Boaz was. Who was Boaz? Let me tell you, gentlemen, get ready to write. Boaz, number one, had a job. Can I get an amen from some girl over there? Boaz had a job. This is, I can't yell loud enough. Listen, if you want to get in a relationship, you better be able to provide for that relationship. If you can't provide, hold tight. Get a job. All right, now we know there's extreme circumstances, of course. But the reality is this is a good characteristic. So Boaz had a job. But not only was he had a job, he was the owner. Now this may not be all of us. But he was an owner. One day, some of you are going to lead some great businesses, some great companies. Now I look forward to that. I can't wait to hear about that. But I want you to notice something. When he walks into this field and he says, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless you, what is he doing? He is loving on his people. He's also being a godly example. He's bringing God into the workplace. Now listen carefully. There are gonna be some of you, listen, I pray this to be true. Some of you are gonna one day lead a company or an organization, and it may be possible that you are the closest thing to a pastor they will ever see. The way you live your life, the way you talk to them, the way you lead that business, they may look to you and you may be pastoring them and you have no idea. And so the way we live our life all over the place, but including at work matters. And so we're looking at Boaz and we go, man, he was a godly boss and he was leading his people well. So here's a couple of things we can pick up. Number one, he was going out to check his fields, but what's the first thing he says? He doesn't say, how's it going? How much money are we making? How are we doing over in that corner? No, what's he say? He talks to his people because he's about his people before he's about his profit. Okay, that's important, right? Cultures flip that around. Be about your profit, and then somehow you'll take care of people. It doesn't work that way. And Boaz is a great example. But we also see that Boaz, he was successful. This was a large field, and it says it just so happened to be that she landed at his particular part of this very large field. He was a successful man, and I want to say this because this is so confused in our culture, particularly, particularly in the church. Listen, it is good for you to make money. It is good for you to make money. In fact, some of you are going to be super successful. And some of you are going to be super successful in the way of making a lot of money. There are multiple ways to be successful. Please don't confuse this. But listen, God needs those that make good money just as much as he needs those that are talented and can do the things that don't involve money. Okay? I don't make God a lot of money. I just stand up and yell at a microphone. Half the time, half the time I'm loving, all right? No, 
God needs you guys that are going to get out there into the world, that are going to lead businesses and organizations and companies or come up with creative ideas to make money. Why? Because God's going to be able to use that money for the glory of his benefit and for his kingdom. It's a good thing. And there's this taboo thing where, oh, if you, you make a lot of money, oh, you need to give all that away. But I agree, you should give a lot of it away. But you don't need to give all of it away. But you need to make money. It's a good thing. In fact, you make as much money as you can. You serve and give to the Lord as much as you can, then whatever's left you enjoy. And if you make enough, you're gonna be enjoying a lot. It's a good thing. And Boaz is a wonderful example of what a godly man can do that's successful in business and has a lot of money. He can still take care of people. He can still take care of people. And ladies, you're not out of this, because some of you are going to make more money than all the dudes here combined. All right? That's great. Some of you are like, the guys are like, oh, great. Who looked up, Daniel? <laughs> Next week, I'm looking for green. Just kidding. You'll, that'll make sense later. Okay. Love people, use money. Don't love money and use people. Verse 5, here we go. Then Boaz said to his young men who was in charge of the reapers, we're going to keep going, whose young woman is this? Think about it, think about it. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. That title still hasn't left her. Woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Verse seven, she said, please let me glean, gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Some of you can guess what the next point is, but first, I wanna talk about this first line. What does it say? He says, who is this young woman? How many of you instantly thought, she must have been really hot. She must have been really hot, right? That's, that's what most of us think. And it's, it's okay if you thought that. You're wrong. I should give you a hint here. But watch this. He comes out into the field, his fields that he knows, and he knows the people that work there. He looks out and he sees all of the people because he's about people over profit. He sees all of these people and then he recognizes someone that he doesn't, he's not seen before. Do you think that's what got his attention? Do you think it's that she was super attractive in her peasant clothes and covered in dirt from head to toe because she's been working since morning? Do you think that's what it was? I mean, maybe she would be like super hot if that worked. I don't know. You know what it was that got his attention? Here's what got his attention. Because typically, gleaning out in the fields, though it was a provision given by God to help those that are needy, it was still a very dangerous thing, and women did not do it alone. So that's why his question is not who is she, but rather who is her man? Whose woman is she? Now the ladies are like, wait a minute. I knew this Bible thing was jacked up. Come on, man. What, is she owned by him? No, 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 no. It's actually the complete opposite. She wasn't owned by them. She was loved for, cared for, and protected by them. It started with her father. And I pray that was your story, though. I know it probably, it may not be for everyone. But that your father was put in that role to protect you, to love you, to lead you. But then guess what? When you get, oh, that wasn't, wedding bells, insert wedding bells. <laughs> when you get married, when you get married, the provision changes. Now it's not your father protecting, leading, and loving you, but now it's your husband protecting, leading, and loving. And some married couples still went through poverty. And so he looks out and he sees a girl all by herself, a woman all by herself, and he has to ask the question, man, who is woman is that? And really, ultimately, what he's thinking is, why is she alone? 
Now, guys, listen. This is important. Okay? He, he isn't stopping because he saw a single woman and he can't wait to just go see what it's all about. He looks at this situation and he senses a problem. A godly boss, a godly man. So then let's look at, let's look at Ruth's first quality, though. Okay? It says that she'd been gleaning, all right, from early morning until now, except for a short rest. What do you think the quality was? Ruth was a hard worker. And that, man, don't you want to be the woman that's a hard worker? And, and you know what, ladies? Some of you are going to be really hard workers, and it's going to be at home. And there's a great debate of like, oh, what's harder, being a stay-at-home mom or working a job? A little more experience, I can tell you. I think it's being a stay-at-home mom. I really do. I don't know for myself, but I know for my wife. She would tell you that it's a hard job. But regardless, whether you're working in a company leading the way or you're working for a company doing your part or you're at home raising your children and taking care of your home, no matter what, guys, we want to see a woman that has hard work written into her. And guess what? So does the Lord. Because he's wired and gifted you with skill sets and talents and spiritual gifts to be used for his glory. And so when there are ladies or men that are not hardworking, you're missing out on a lot. And so we see that she's out there and she is working hard from morning until now. She's not focused on finding a husband. She's focused on fulfilling her purpose. She's not focused on a husband. She's focused on her purpose. Some of us need to get our eyes off all the guys and all the girls and just focus on right where we're at. But let's keep going. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth. So here's our first encounter, the two of them talking. Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He's put protection in place. Those men are going to leave her alone. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she, let's pause there. Okay, this is unreal. If you were reading this in biblical times, your jaw would have hit the ground. Here's why. Because first of all, foreigners, which she was, Moabite in Bethlehem, foreigners would have been pouring water for the Israelites, not the other way around. On top of that, women would have been pouring for men, not men pouring for women. But what is this situation? This is a Moabite foreigner woman having water poured, not even by a woman, but by a man. This is, this is so contrary to everything that was normal in this time. What are we seeing? We're seeing Boaz set up this moment of protection. We're seeing Boaz extend his hand. Verse 10, keep going. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done, you ready for this? You ever wonder if your hard work pays off? All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and you and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Listen, if you don't think your hard work, if you don't think doing the right thing matters, it always does. Sometimes you don't see the fruit until later on. This is important. Boaz heard all that she had done and all of a sudden he says, we're gonna take care of her. We are going to take care of her. We will, broke, we will break the cultural norms. We're going to take care of this woman. And, and listen, sometimes 
Sometimes it's not that every situation or every person that crosses your path is going to be someone that you're going to go, you're going to go rock the world to try to help them. But when the Lord presses on your heart to help somebody, you better be found faithful. You better be found faithful. I'm going to be honest with you. When I'm driving down the street, I do not give money to every single person that I see on the street. I just don't. But if I feel the Lord pressing on my heart, it doesn't matter what the situation is, I will be found faithful or I will be on my knees repenting because I want to be faithful to him. But I also know that I can't just meet every single need that's out there, so I wait for the Lord to lead me. Uh, for Sarah and I, I've told you this before, for Sarah and I, one of, the, one of the ways the Lord's given us to be able to help people is we've opened up um, a room in our home since we've been married, uh, not every single week, but uh, we have had, uh, I think, roughly 16 different people have lived with us since we've been married. But of course, sometimes it's married couples who have to get married. Sometimes it's singles, different people. But that's a way that the Lord has, has encouraged us, challenged us, pressed on our heart to serve others. We're not giving a lot of money away because we don't have a lot of money to give away. We're not doing a bunch of things outside of our norm, but we're doing something that we are capable of doing. And as the Lord leads it's not every single, every single person I meet. You can try tonight. It's not going to work, right? But as the Lord presses on our heart, we want to step in and be found faithful. The same is for you, and the same is here for Boaz. So what's Boaz's quality number two? Boaz was a gentleman. Ladies, do you want to see men that are gentlemen? Yeah, right? Is that just rocking all over the place these days? Right? Men, gentlemen everywhere, right? No? Really? Guys, what do y'all think? Do y'all think there's gentlemen everywhere? Guys, um, let me ask you a question. Do you know what a gentleman is? What is it? <laughs> I thought you were talking, man. It's not my moment. I thought it was you. Listen, Boaz was a gentleman. Boaz was a gentleman. Now listen, we can get caught up in the word and the unknown of the definition and all of this, but listen, this is, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to do any of this, okay? The only thing that really he was required to do as a Bible-believing, by the way, that's another side characteristic of him, because he believed in the Bible, his Old Testament falling, he let them glean in the field because it was God's provision that had been set up through the scriptures. But listen, he did not have to do a single thing beyond that, did he? Not a single thing. Yet he chose to go above and beyond as the Lord led him. Listen, Boaz was a gentleman. Here's the other thing. This is, this is good. He treasured her before he explored her. Okay, think about this. He treasured her before he explored her. Okay, and of course, you can add sex in there later, but that's not even what I'm talking about. Before he ever explored a relationship, before he ever explored, could I marry this person? What would this look like? He treasured her. How did he treasure her? He treated her as Christ would treat her. So ladies, newsflash, if you walk up to a guy, symbolically over time, and you don't see him treasuring you, pack your backpack. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it, it, it isn't worth it. Because if he doesn't treasure you now when all his senses are heightened because he's in the infatuation stage, it's going to be a real tough day down the road. And men, men. Some of you, I'm giving you credit here. Men, listen, learn to treasure a woman before you explore her. You do that, you will make your father proud, and you will find much more fulfillment. It's a promise. 
And so he treasured her for who she was. Listen, do you know what we're talking about? This, this, is, this is a rich business owner walking outside to a poor woman, and he says, we're going to do everything we can to take care of her. I mean, this is counterculture even today. This just doesn't, doesn't make sense that this kind of man, and he didn't just send a bunch of people to do all the work. He's engaging with her. He's talking with her. He's learning about her story. He wants to know all the details so that he can then bring the right people around to give her everything that she needs. This is incredible. Boaz was a gentleman. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And then we have a pregnant pause where nothing happens until verse 14 where they're sitting at dinner. This is the last conversation for a short time. Listen carefully. This is, this is really important. Ruth was grateful. Ruth was grateful. Ruth's kindness, her humility, her gratitude is all coming out throughout this story as it's unfolding. Ruth does not expect anything. Ruth isn't demanding anything. She simply comes and trusts that God is going to take care of her. And when he does, what is she? She is grateful. And ladies, I, I just have this, this thing that's been on my mind for a couple of days. And, and I can't, every time I say this is important, I feel like people are like, okay. And then we forget about it. But listen, this is this is something that has been bothering me for years, okay? But for whatever reason, over the last few days, this has really come to light. And so here's what I want to say to you, ladies. And I don't, this may hit you and be really important for you. It may not, but I just want to say this. And, and guys, I want you to listen to this too. The most beautiful women do not show more skin. They show more heart. Listen, it is easy for any girl to show a little bit more skin and to be a little bit more beautiful, okay, because guys are animals. And in our culture today, for, for whatever reason, this is like the thing. I mean, you, you get on any of these social media platforms and you see all this, and I know none of this is new to you, but, but ladies, I, what bothers me so much is it's not the guys putting you in these clothes, it's you. You chose it and then get mad at them. And I'm not saying it's every single person in this room. Please hear me carefully, but we're just kind of making a blanket statement because we all need to hear this. The most beautiful women are not the ones that show more skin. It's the ones that show more heart. Now, can you show more skin and get a little bit more attention for a moment? You betcha. But eventually that attention will fade. What will last is the heart. And I've watched this through the years right here in this very ministry where there have been great, great girls that may not be as qualified as the most attractive girl to ever walk through the building, and yet guys are gaga for them. And you know why? Because they are kind, caring, and because they're all of these grateful, humble, all of these things make them that much more beautiful. And the smart guys, listen, the smart guys know a little skin now doesn't mean much later on. The smart guys know, yeah, okay, sure. All that looks good, all their little swimsuits and all that stuff, but I'm looking for a woman that gets it because I don't want, I don't want that raising my kids. 
I don't want that taking care of my home. I don't want that to be what I'm hoping doesn't go back to that stage five years into marriage and I'm wondering if she's got some guy on the side because of the lifestyle she lived before. You see where this is going? And so we have to be so careful, but it starts with, with us. It starts with how we see ourselves. It starts with how we see each other, and it's really important. Boaz, quality number three, we're almost there, just two more, two and a half. Boaz was generous, okay, Boaz was generous. And let me just, I wanna restate this one more time. Verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. This isn't like uh, McDonald's, okay, this is, this is his food. This is expensive food. This is, sorry, McDonald's lovers. Uh, listen, bro, if you take her on a date to McDonald's, there won't be a second. You got that? So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and he ate and she ate. Listen, she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Who knows, can, listen, who knows how long it was since she ate a good meal? Do you remember the story? Remember the situation? Can you imagine sitting down? You've been poor, you've been hungry, you've been traveling. Somewhere maybe in the neighborhood of one to two weeks, you finally get there. Then you get out in the field and you glean from morning until whatever time it was. Everybody notices the hard work. She is tired, exhausted, hungry, but she's focused. And then she gets invited to sit down and to eat an incredible meal, whatever you qualify as incredible. And she sits down and she eats this meal. And can you imagine just putting that food in your mouth after you've been starving and you've been working hard and there's this unknown. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, here we go, she's going back at it. Boaz instructed his young men. Now he's bringing in manpower. Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Now we're not talking about the margins. We're talking about the good stuff. And do not reproach her. Don't give her a hard time. This was not common. This poor people didn't get into the good stuff. Verse 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. This is a poor Moabite woman that Boaz is extending his hand far beyond anything that would have been asked of him through the provision of the Old Testament, above and beyond. And then here's the last little point, and I want to show this to you because this is important, and this is for both Ruth and Boaz, whatever number we're on, doesn't matter. They were not love junkies. They were not love junkies. Let me read the last part of our verse. So she, Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an apeth of barley. Anybody know how much that is? 30 to 50 pounds. Do you know how much a male would normally get? One to two. She worked hard, and she was blessed. When she rose to glean, Boaz, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, excuse me. And she took it up, verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city. She went back to her mother-in-law, and when her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So listen, she comes home, I'm gonna do this quickly so we can get out of here. She comes home to Naomi, and she brings this 30 pound, we'll just say 30. She brought it home, okay, so she, she's not afraid to work. 
gets it home, lays it out in front of Naomi. What do you think Naomi did? Her mouth hit the floor. Are you kidding me? I thought we'd get one to two. 30 pounds, this is incredible. And then she goes, oh, and by the way, here's that McDonald's that we had from dinner. I had leftovers and I brought it back. Listen, guys, this is incredible. She was poor. They had nothing. They sent Ruth out in hopes that maybe something would happen, and she comes home with all of this. But our point is this. They weren't love junkies. What does that mean? Well, what didn't happen after this encounter? Did they fall in love? Did they get married? Did they go on a date? Nope, none of that. Boaz went back to work, and Ruth went home. And for the next roughly one to two months, she's going to keep working out in the field. Listen, some of us in here, we are so, maybe we wouldn't say love junkies. Maybe that was a little harsh. Sorry, I'll think of a nicer word when I have more time. All right? But we're like, oh. Could he be the one? Look, he looked at me. He looked at me. Oh, this is it. Oh, beautiful babies. We're going to have twins. We're going to name them. This is amazing. Right? Or some of you guys are like, oh. yeah, she lifted her head up when it said business owner. That's what I'm talking about. I want to stay at home and raise a kid. I don't, whatever your story is. But listen, we are so, we're so fixated on this. We are ready. We cannot wait. And the first girl that walks through the door, I'm going to marry her. I don't know how it would be bad. Uh, listen. We can't be love junkies. It goes back to what we said at the very beginning of the night after we sang that song. We've got to understand that we are loved by God. That's where our satisfaction comes. And then everything else is extra. And you'll meet a great guy like, like Ruth did, but she's not goo goo gaga, head over heels. I gotta change my whole life for him. No, no, I'm just gonna keep working. I'm just gonna keep working. I'm gonna keep waiting. And as the Lord leads, we'll let this thing unfold. Did we do that? No, not around here. Oh, no, no. And you meet someone, you become official or whatever you call it now, can't even keep up with it anymore, all right? And you're on the phone eight hours or texting or Snapchatting, whatever, 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 whatever it is you do, and you know everything about each other within eight hours, and there is nothing left to explore, and you wonder why you struggle with the physical. Listen, this is not God's plan. God wants you to wait, to be patient, observe each other from afar, see what they're really like when they're not trying to impress you. Enjoy that moment. Enjoy, work hard, develop, grow, find your purpose. And while you're chasing after God, you'll look left, you'll look right, and you'll find someone doing the same thing. And that will be the person that you'll want to link up with. So they weren't love junkies. They didn't meet someone and it all, everything was over. And they left their friends and they left their family and they left their phone and all. No one would never do that. All these things, they didn't do that. They just kept walking. And they trusted that if it was supposed to be something, it'll be something. And we'll stop there and pick up next week. Now, here's two things to just leave you out so we wrap this up. I said, when I, we sent the text out today, we said, we are gonna help you find the man or woman of your dreams, okay? Do you wanna know how you find the man or woman of your dreams? Start becoming the man or woman of their dreams. You'll have to clap. I know it was good. <laughs> Does anybody want to repeat that? If you want to find the man or woman of your dreams, become the man or woman of their dreams. It always starts in the mirror. Okay? That's the first thing. Second thing, last one. Look for the qualities that go far beyond the now. Her, her shirt's cut a little shorter. He's a little extra jacked than he will be in three years, trust me. All right, 
all those things, though they're, they're fine, they're good, those are not the things that last. Their character, their humility, their gratefulness, their gentleness, their generosity, their protection. I think for Boaz, I'm not a girl, but if, if, if I was a girl, we'd have a lot of problems. But <laughs> I think the best thing I've seen so far about Boaz is how he protected her. I mean, he didn't just chase after her as some, oh, I got a new girl in the field. Oh, that's the one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to know. He protected her. He, he, took, he, he was generous with her. He gave her everything she needed. Man, ladies, that's what you're looking for. Because you're going to need a man that loves you enough to protect you, not want his own desires over what's best for you. So like I said, this isn't all the qualities you need to know, but man, we see some really good stuff in this story. And who would have thought the story of a Moabite woman and a man from Bethlehem, a poor girl, and a business-owning rich man like Boaz would be so helpful. But man, we could.